Today on the NFL Films Podcast. Oh, that's a good one, Polly. It starts now. David Robodeau at his best. Welcome back, everybody. In the wake of an incredibly thrilling divisional weekend, we break it down and we spin it forward to what should be a very, very interesting championship Sunday. Football's Final Four. We're here with the NFL Films guru, Greg Cosell. I'm Paul. I'm Keith. Let's hit it. Four games this weekend, Keith. Three of them were, I would say, very good to great. One of them, meh. (laughs) But you know what? Overall, an incredible weekend of football. We have four teams left. Football's final four. Let's dig in, fellas. All right. First of all, where were you in your house? Were you in the kitchen? Were you were you standing on the edge of the couch last night with ten seconds left? No, no. I was when the actually, ball was snapped by Kate, to Case Keenum. I was actually in my in my what would I guess be called my man cave? It's just my TV room where I have my sixty five inch TV, and my wife was in her area where she watches TV, which is not where I do. And normally I'm a very quiet watcher because, you know, having been at NFL Films for 38 years, I've seen a little bit of football, and I tend not to be surprised by most of what I see. So all of a sudden when that happened, I screamed because it was just one of those moments. And my wife, who rarely ever hears me do that because that's not the way I watch sports, yells from the other room, are you okay? Are you okay? Because she thought something was wrong. And I said, I just said, no, this was one of the greatest moments I've seen. And I said to, to her... That's why you watch sports, just for that, because you never know when something like that is going to happen. It's great when it does. I screamed uh, during the national championship game when Alabama missed the field goal, and that was late. Right. That was about oh, 1 a.m. I was sleeping. I was worried that I, that I, that I was going to frighten the whole family right, right. at that point. This one, um, it was a crazy moment. It was, was, it was a sp- You know what? You're happy for yeah. the Vikings fans. And, and, and big picture here. We're not going to spend the hour totally breaking down the games that happened. Um, you know, we're going to spin this thing forward, but we would be doing um, the pod an injustice right. if we did not explain, Greg, what in, what, <laughs> what the H-E double hockey right, sticks right, happened right. out there. Well, you know, it's really interesting. We That was as good an example of situational football as one could ever have. You know, we hear that term always, of course, with Bill Belichick and how good he is and how important it is in the NFL to play situational football. And obviously, Marcus Williams is getting a lot of blame, and there's plenty to to give to Marcus Williams. But I watched that play, and there were two sort of corner routes that were too close to one another, really. The, the, The route distribution was not great. And it was uh, meaning the receivers. The were receivers too close were too to close other. together. Downfield. I thought anyway. You know, again, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought they were too close together. But anyway, it was Diggs who kind of ran the deeper one, and it was Thielen who he might have been five, seven yards away from him, a little shorter. And where Thielen was, if he catches the ball, they're not even in field goal range. So Ken Crawley was a, the corner to that side of the field, and Crawley is sitting on Thielen's route. So even if Thielen 
catches the ball, like I said, he's not in field goal range. So what I, I was watching this and thinking to myself, why is Crawley not deeper playing digs? It's irrelevant if Thielen catches the ball. And so, of course, it's easy to to rip Marcus Williams, and, and clearly that's not the way you want a safety to play that ball. But I, I just looked at Ken Crawley and thought to myself, what are you doing? You're you should be deep. You should be much deeper. Were you asking why Thielen, what are you doing? Why is no, he not, no, Crawley. Well, I know, but why isn't Thielen running a deeper route at that point? Well, he's not going to run a deeper route because then he'd be running the same route as, as, as Diggs. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, the thing is, is he went to take out Diggs' legs. That, that was his whole premise. Because if he t- takes out his legs and he falls inbounds, the game's over. So I'm sure that was his thought process, take out his legs and the game's over because then he couldn't get out of bounds. Right. When the reality is watch him catch the ball and bear hug him and bring him to the ground. Right. Don't just make sure he doesn't get past you and just grab on him. Hold him for dear life until the cavalry arrives. The clock will run out. When he caught the ball, I believe there were four seconds left. Yeah, I mean you could almost theoretically – let him catch it, you know, if you really wanted to. I mean, not right. that that's the goal, but you theoretically could have. But no, he went to take out his legs. And you could tell, I mean, it was unbelievable balance by Diggs because, you know, coming down, he was expecting when he caught that ball to get hit immediately. Well, right. and you talk about situational awareness. When, when the ball was thrown and caught, my immediate reaction was, well, I'm thinking they just need a field goal and they really only have time for one play. When he catches the ball so close to the boundary, yeah. I immediately started saying, they're going to get to kick the field goal. Right, that's what I thought. Next thing you yeah. know, he turns up field. So I, it's amazing to think Diggs wasn't so pre-wired to just step out of bounds. That he, he almost did, I think. I mean, again, we don't know what was in his head, sure. but for that second, it looked like he was, well, I'm going to get out of bounds. And then he realized there was no one in front of him. That moment when yeah. you realized that he, there was nobody left. Which happens, of course, in normal it's... speed very fast. But when you're watching, there's that pause in your brain for a second, maybe even in his brain, who knows, where you think, wow. There's no one in front of him. Yeah. He's going to score a touchdown. He got to the end. You're right. He caught the ball with four seconds left. If you watch the clock tick down, I don't know what yard line he was at. It was probably around the 30. He got to the end zone almost with one second left. It was almost like yeah. he f- ran faster than he ever ran in his entire life. Two years in a row now, the Sunday, the late Sunday divisional window has given us what was the, the game classic last year? finish. Rodgers versus the Cowboys. With ah, that. Sideline pass to, to Jared, to Jared Cook, Cook. Run, yep. scrambling to his left. So two years in a row, we capped divisional weekend with a signature game. Very different quarterbacks in those two equations, but but that's a separate pod, probably. Speaking of quarterbacks, we the premise last week, yes, that we led with was we have two buckets. We have these superstar, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and then we have these other guys. Well, lo and behold, three out of the four other guys won. Well, it's funny you say that, Kaz, because on Twitter, I like to check Twitter while I'm watching the game sometimes. It's just fun. Second screen. Greg's so millennial. Yeah. You know, I'm a trendy guy, Paul. Uh, Man cave, the Cosell man cave is hopping. I'm I'm hip now and today. I'm a trendy guy. (laughs) So anyway, I I like to check Twitter and it's funny. the, The the conversation on Twitter was now whether the whole quarterback thing is overrated, that you really don't need a star quarterback because now look who's <laughs> All going. of a sudden. Yeah, I know. I'm just telling you what Twitter said. It's a fast-moving pendulum yes, out there, yes, kids. Yes, don't get hit by it. Yes. After all these years. Yeah. 
I'm just telling you what Twitter said. All right. Well, maybe uh, Rosen and Darnold should go back to college. I think it's we too late. We don't need them. I think because this, this, well, this was the week. Well, that... here's the thing we didn't lead with last week. Defense. And what we're left with, in addition to three of these four other quarterbacks, are three of the top four defenses in the NFL. And I got to say— So defense wins championships? Are we back to that now, too? Did it ever leave, Greg? (laughs) Did it ever leave? (laughs) And the fourth one, as we pointed out last week, is—I mean, the fourth one is the bad defense, quote-unquote, is Bill Belichick's. The one that, as we said, allows yards, stretches, but— But understands situational football. And does not allow points. But the Patriots have played at a very high level of defense for Much better over the last month or so, without question. They haven't given up points in two months. And all of a sudden, it seems like they have a pass rush. Yeah, where did that come from? That's a great question, but you know it seems what? like they have one. That guy they found on the street, number 92, James Harrison. Where'd he come from? I don't know. Let's talk about a guy, though, that we haven't. We talked about Aaron Donald. We even talked a little about, a bit about Calais Campbell. I want Greg to tell me all about Fletcher Cox, oh. a guy we haven't talked about but was a monster the other night. Really good. And if the Eagles yeah. are going to keep winning, of course, their defense is going to have to lead them, and that guy might have to lead that defense Tell me about Fletcher Cox. If I don't know about him, what do I need to know? And tell me about what he did the other night. Well, it's, I, there's not a lot to say about how good a player he is. You know that. The question becomes is how do offenses choose to handle him? Because the Eagles line up. When they go to their sub-packages, meaning nickel or dime, what they normally do, one of their main fronts is they'll line up with what we call 2-3 techniques, okay? And what they do is they bring Brandon Graham inside to detackle. He's a very good pass rusher as well. He's not quite Dwight Freeney, but he's built like him, and he's a very good pass rusher from the inside. So now you put a burden on the offensive line. How do they want to protect? Do they want to slide their center? Because no one's covering the center. Do they want to slide their center to Brandon Graham? or to Fletcher Cox. And so, for instance, this week, the Falcons, for most of the first half, slid to Fletcher Cox because he's a great player. And then you get Graham one-on-one with a guard. If you start sliding to Brandon Graham, you get Cox one-on-one with a guard, and the Eagles will take that all day long. So it really now is incumbent upon Minnesota. How do they want to handle that? You know, this week they played Mike Remmers, a tackle, at left guard for the first time. And theoretically, a tackle moving into guard should be a better pass protector than a normal guard. So we'll see how they choose to handle that. Although I thought thought their old line had some struggles in the second half against the Saints. And in fact, the Saints did a really good job with a lot of different stunt concepts. And that caused problems for the Vikings. Are the Eagles defense an ensemble act or or Cox or Graham, one of these guys that can sort of wreck a game single-handedly and kind of take over the charge of, of, of this team they're you know, both. They're, they're, they're an ensemble act, but they do have Cox, who is capable of wrecking a game. And Graham is—because Graham doesn't get 15, 17 sacks, I'm not sure a lot of people think about him, but he's a really, really good player who, in their defense, is multi-positional. Eagles are fascinating to me. A lot of these players have been there for the last few years. I guess they're Howie Roseman guys. I mean, or they chip Kelly. The notion well, a, they were a, there, and then the, yeah. the team sort of dipped, and it's the same group that sort of— because I know back. we want to sort of look ahead, too. It's a fascinating matchup because you've got the Eagles are the third best third down defense in the NFL. The Vikings are the third best third down offense in the NFL. 
And third down, as we know, that's the money down. That's a critical down. The Vikings this past week were 10 for 17 on third down. And as I said, they're third best overall in the NFL in the regular season. So I think third down is a really critical element, critical aspect to this matchup between the Vikings offense and the Eagles defense. I thought that was so critical in all four of the games. Yep. The third down, like, do you Jacksonville have... Jacksonville was it, 8 for 14. Uh, they were awesome. Bortles, they, weren't, they weren't random either. Bortles converted three huge third downs in the fourth quarter when the Steelers were just desperate to yeah. get off the field. And that, you know, that, well, you that's know, what we talked about. You have to be able to get nine yards on third and so eight. Let's, and these let's guys did it. look back to look ahead because you yeah. make a really interesting point there. The Steelers played almost all zone coverage. And... I was watching that tape and thinking to myself, wow, they really went man when they played New England and had success. And here they're playing zone. So you have a quarterback in Bortles who's not a precise ball placement thrower. And you have receivers who are younger receivers. So you're playing zone, which to me makes it easier. If you play man, you're forcing the receivers to have to win and separate. And you're forcing Bortles to have to make precision ball placement throws, but they played a ton of zone. And it just, to me, that it takes the burden off a little bit. And then, of course, the 40-yarder to Yeldon, I think Artie Burns blew that coverage, but hey, maybe I'm wrong, but well, he carried Westbrook inside when I don't believe he should have. Well, that's just great, Greg. Sorry, really, cuz. You know, we made it 12 minutes. Sorry, cuz. We Paul, made it 12 minutes. Paul and I can chat. Paul, and, jump in any time here. Whoa, 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 Here we go. Is it, is it the here we go section? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Different here we go, cuz? You're telling me, what was the percentage here, zone versus man? What were the splits? I didn't chart it, but it seemed like it was far more zone to me on third down than man. Huh. And that just on third down or throughout third down. All, all the uh, I would say throughout the game they played predominant. But that's hard to tell in some ways for this reason, is that the Jaguars lined up in base, some form of base personnel, meaning that they were not three wide receivers on the field, on a high percentage of snaps. Leonard Fournette had 25 rushes in the game. 24 of them came out of some version of base personnel, meaning a fullback, two tight ends, three tight ends. Only one run had 11 personnel, and that came in the fourth quarter. So explain, get inside Keith Butler's head, the Steelers' defensive coordinator, no, and Tomlin. That. Well, what is the think, what's the theory on why we're going to play zone uh, against this offense? Is it to better well, be able to stack against Fournette and the running game I think and play a little safer against the pass because Bortles isn't going to beat us? What is the thinking there? Well, first of all, as you know, Kaz, they're foundationally a zone coverage team. They did play man against New but England, they came so but I far. but I think that's because they viewed New England as the 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 aberration, so to speak. You know, the the, the different kind of team that they had to beat. But I think when all said and done, they're a foundation zone coverage defense. That's what they are. So I don't think they viewed the Jacksonville offense as an offense that they had to change anything that they do as their staple or their foundation. Did they blitz a lot? Not very much. No, but again, it's all that base personnel. Most teams, they did blitz some as the game progressed. They didn't play dime, six defensive backs, which they've they've played a lot this year until the third quarter just because the game didn't lend itself to that. Right. 
uh, and William Gay is their sixth defensive back, as you know. So they blitzed some when they did that because the, Mike Hilton off the slot has blitzed a lot this year, and that's what they did. But they didn't blitz a lot in this game because the game didn't play out. There wasn't a right. lot of eleven wow. personnel. You, you, they weren't they weren't in their sub packages a lot. Right. So you didn't get that Hilton off the slot no. blitz very often. No, you didn't see that. No, that was. It was an odd game for the Steelers, and of course they lost, so they don't view it as odd. But because they got down so quick, the game had an odd dynamic. To, I thought watching live, the game had an odd dynamic. Watching it, uh, the game I was reminded of was when the Steelers went to Indianapolis in 2005 and came out throwing the ball with the a second game? year. Was that the fumble game? The fumble game. Yeah. But they, if you remember, they came out... <clears throat> Ben play action yeah. as a not very well established quarterback at that point, and they came out slinging and stunned the Colts and took a big lead. Well, and the Colts and Peyton Manning had to play catch up all game. Obviously, that one didn't go crazy into well, the. Well, in 40s this game, like Jacksonville this they started the game with a Leonard Fournette five yard run, and the next three plays were all play action out of base personnel, right. easy throws. Look, it was evident watching the tape, and I know Bortles. Deserves credit. He did not turn the ball over, and that's critical. And he had his own read run. He had a few scrambles. But those next three throws were classic examples of how they wanted to play. They want to limit his exposure. They were all play action, easy throws. Some had misdirection. Some had boot action. But they're trying to limit his exposure as a passer. I mean, this is not a hard game plan to predict. No. And that's why when they play New England this week, a team that plays way more man, man is their foundation a couple of things will interest me. Number one, can Bortles make throws if he has to? Number two, will they spy him in certain situations? Because if you play man, you don't want him to be able to then to just run. And the, the Patriots have used spies this year when they feel it's appropriate. Um, and the key thing, and Belichick will harp on this all week about playing with your eyes because all the misdirection stuff that they try to do with play action boot to make sure you don't let your eyes get ahead of themselves. I mean, I see what you did there, spinning it forward to New England, and and I know that's the premise of this hour. Well, because I also not, I don't want you to quite, be I don't want you not, to be sad. I'm not quite. You know, right. I want you to be happy. Do he's I doing sound sad? Than, no, he's doing do better it. than I thought he would be. Yeah, no, yeah. I, look, I'm over it, and 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 just I, here's here's where I am on this thing. Before we move on from the Steelers, yes, the t- I know. They're, they're, I know they are at home winning. this weekend. Yeah, I know, <laughs> not playing at home, <laughs> sitting at home. I need to move forward. I know. Uh, our, our, our rabid audience is waiting to hear uh, where I am on this thing. Um, there is a certain evident sloppiness and, 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 and questionable situational, I don't want to call it intelligence, but for lack of a better word, that have been evident throughout the season. There's a sadness the in his voice, isn't there? Yeah, that, it's forlorn. Well, yeah. I, it just, look, I think... You get what you deserve in January. Your weaknesses eventually bubble up and, and they catch you. And I think the things that, that, that have crept up with the Steelers in big spots over these last several years, what you saw after the Jeff, Jesse James overturn against New England when they weren't ready. They didn't have two plays ready. Yeah. Tomlin's telling them on the sideline, we got to get the second play. And it wasn't, you know, it's clear that Ben didn't walk on the field quite knowing the situation as explicitly as you would want him to. That kind of thing I was reminded of when they score a touchdown to make it 42 to 35 and 
the, the shot on the sideline, the special teams coach Danny Smith is running around, and it just looked like it was chaos on the Steelers' sideline. Like, they just had a long drive to get down the field, to score with 218 So your point left. being that there shouldn't be chaos, you should know exactly what but, you're going to do. By the time that ball crosses the goal line, Le'Veon Bell right. scored on that little lateral. That yep, was kind yep. of a neat play. Everyone should understand, are we onside kicking or not? What's the onside kick? And it just looked like right. there was a moment <clears throat> right. of chaos. So and there can't no, be no, chaos No in question. That the, the, you should know based on, hey, if we score at this time in the game, we're doing this. If we score at this time of the game, we're doing this. If we score at this yeah. time of the game, we're doing this. And see, that should all be worked out during the week. That shouldn't be a decision that, that you're first but, thinking about but, there. Well, but but, even, and we don't know if it was or but, wasn't, but you're saying but you thought it looked they, like but that. But they're, they're, they're marching down the field. Right. Like the, 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 it's got to be somebody's job during that drive to say, all right, we scored with this much left on the clock. What are we doing? You know, you got two timeouts well, theoretically, left. theoretically, it you should got be the, the head coach. Warning. Theoretically, the head coach in that situation should say, hey, if we score under this amount of time, we're going to kick it off. If we score under this amount of time, we're going to onside kick. Whether you agree or disagree with the call, that should be determined. But, but, you know, that's why Belichick's got a guy up there, Ernie. Ernie Adams. Ernie Adams. And and God knows how many other guys up there. You need a guy, Paul. You need a guy. Everybody needs a guy. Somebody said, We need a guy to move this forward, Cosby. We have all winter to work out the Steelers' kinks. That's it. I need my five-minute spiel. I I got to get this off my chest, and then we can talk about Championship Sunday the whole rest of the hour. It's the Allegheny, the Monagahela, and the Cosro. Five minutes. That's where we're stuck. Five minutes is all I need. Is that it? That's it. All right. All right. Let's talk about the Jaguars' defense. Okay. They're awesome. What would you like to talk I about? I love watching them. They're fast. They're fearless. Yeah. They didn't care that they were playing the Steelers. From well, the they, sound we've they, heard. They did give up 42 points. Well. A lot of great individual yeah, plays. Right. I mean, at which hey, yeah, can I? Okay. I'll give you credit here because only by the grace of Antonio Brown's acrobatics were there that many points scored by the Steelers because the no, coverage was, was that was brilliant. on top so, of him as he was making those catches and Ben was putting incredible balls on his yeah. hands well, were amazing. There's, Four, there's one right. thing to, to discuss here, which and I don't know what his injury status is, but they lost Gibson in that game. Right. Is he Safety. out? He Tayshawn out? Gibson. Do you know if he's out, Tayshawn Gibson? We do not know yet. Because I think he's a vital piece. Of, you know, people never what? talk about him because, you know, they have a lot of other great players. He's a really good player. He's predominantly been the tight end matchup when they play cover one, meaning man coverage. Um, so, you know, obviously, I don't know whether he's in or out, but he's an important piece to that defense. What? Well, do tell. Go on. What? What makes him so well? Vital? Like I said, he matches up. He's throughout the season. He's been their their tight end matchup when they play man. Plus, he has really excellent deep safety ability. I mean, when they signed him from Cleveland, he was actually a very good player in Cleveland on some bad teams, obviously, but he was predominantly a free safety when they signed him, and he was a very good free safety who could read quarterbacks and routes. He he might have led the league in interceptions one year. I think he had seven or eight one year. So he's a very versatile safety and I think if he does not play, that's a meaningful loss against New England. Well, particularly, I mean, who's covering Gronkowski in this well, game? Well, that's going to be an interesting question because they, they have players they probably feel can. I mean, Miles Jack is very athletic and he's 245 pounds. Gibson has been their tight end matchup. Barry Church has at times matched up to tight ends as sort of the a more traditional strong safety. So... You know, we'll see. Uh, 
you know, they could they could easily believe in this game that they have two really good corners who can match up man to man on the outside and that they could have different double team concepts on Gronkowski depending on where he lines up. I mean, if he's split wide, it'll be hard to double him, but when he's more inside the formation, they may have some double team concepts. It's simple, right? You got to not let Gronkowski beat you. You take care of him if you're Jacksonville and then well, worry about everything else next. I, seems to me he's their most dangerous he, weapon. He is, but we talked the guy we talked about last week, Dion Lewis. Um it it, it seemed as if the Patriots offense, like the ignition got turned on on Saturday night against Tennessee when they went to Deion Lewis. It was like they had, had the a first great couple drives. Last month, six weeks of the season, both right. as a runner and right. as a receiver. But in that game, it took them a little while to get going. Yeah. They had a couple eh, early drives. Brady wasn't quite engaged. And then Deion Lewis, boom like a 30-yard screen, and then just Dion here, he's he's a jitterbug, and he just sort of well, kicked the thing into gear. I think what you're going to see a lot of is this is a fast-flow defense they're playing against. I think at times they get ahead of themselves. I think at times they don't play with their eyes real well. And I think you're going to see a lot of misdirection concepts, a lot of spread concepts. You're going to, you're going to get – they're going to try to get this defense to have to – see things, see a lot of things and react to a lot of things because they're very reactive, particularly Telvin Smith, Miles Jack. You know, when they're in their nickel and it's and it's Miles Jack and Smith, obviously those guys are very fast and very athletic, but I think they're going to feel that they can get them moving in directions uh, that the Patriots would like them to move, but ultimately it is not the right way to move if you're Jacksonville. I guess Jacksonville has the speed. They have great ne- speed. To neutralize that kind of a player. But he's almost become like the security blanket that Edelman was last year. You mean Deion Lewis? Yeah. There's Cooks, too, though, don't forget. I mean, someone's got to – will they travel with Cooks? You know, I don't know because Ramsey doesn't always travel. He didn't travel with Brown on every snap this week, so he's not necessarily going to travel. They they feel very good about Boye. I mean, look, Boye – theoretically got beat on two touchdowns, but it's not as if he was beat where you, you know, you, you went, wow, he's nowhere near Antonio Brown. I mean, he wasn't, you know, beat. So Boye's a good corner. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was interesting. The Patriots wide receivers did not make much of an impact in that game. No, so they did not. They and didn't. then, look, one of the great things about the Patriots, and it's why they're the Patriots, is they can, and we always just talk about Brady, and obviously he's great. That's not the point. But they can win in a variety of ways yep. using different people. Yep. They they don't just have one way that they have to win. Nope. You know, so that's that's what makes them so interesting. Now, granted, you could say, well, that's because of Brady and he can do anything, and maybe it is. But the point is they don't just line up and say, well, our, our offense starts with this, and if we don't do that, boy, we're in trouble. They they can go about it many different ways depending on the opponent. We always with Brady talk about well you have to get to him with a four man pass rush and you got to pressure him up the middle which they know get him too. off his spot. Right. Everybody talks about it. This defense seems particularly well suited to give that a shot. Yes, and and Belichick will know that. And uh, my guess is you'll see a lot of quicker game stuff. Like I said, maybe some horizontal stuff so the ball comes out. And particularly early, because the last thing that they want to have happen is Brady get hit early. Boy, it's hard to imagine the ball coming out any quicker than it, uh, Saturday night. That's, well, no, that's but what I'm struck saying, me. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how quickly it comes out. Well, I mean, because the, the Titans, by the way, and, and I know it didn't show up in that game because of the way the Patriots played, but the Titans have a very good pass rush as well. Uh, they were, I think, 
third or fourth in the league in sacks. And this, and obviously Belichick and his staff knew that. So you want the ball to come out. The last they do not want Brady hit early because Brady, as great as he is, you mean early in the game or early in the early in the, in the drop early in the game, and. And look, every quarterback, hey, I remember when I first started uh, working with Ron Jaworski here, and one of the first things he told me, and I've never forgotten, is he said, no quarterback likes to get hit. And, you know, Brady is just like just like Peyton Manning. You know, everybody said that's it's, the, it's true with Brady. The last thing the Patriots want is Brady to take shots early in the game. It's not like our old friend Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly once told me that, hey, I, I want to take that first shot that gets me in the game. I don't think Tom Brady feels that way. If I'm a Jaguars fan, what gives me what's my number one source of hope heading to heading up there to slay the dragon? Well, I think it has to be a defensive game for them because offensively, quite honestly, they can really only win one way. And that's with the run game as the foundation and working off that as I said a while ago, to limit Bortles' exposure. I mean, Bortles may have had two straight dropbacks in this game this past week, you know, when it was third and long. Other than that, there's no straight dropbacks. It's play action. It's boot action. It's some kind of multiple backfield action. It's easy throws. You know, it's they're not asking him to do a lot even when they throw the ball. So it's they're really trying to to – limit what he's asked to do within the context of lining up with base personnel and and running the football. And if they can't have some success running the ball, it'll be difficult. Is Fournette healthy? Do we, like, well, he got hurt again this week. Um, he came Fournette, back in, though. He, got he came back in the second quarter. He was not great in no. the second half. Fournette, to me, and I, I really like Fournette when he came out, and, and he certainly had a solid rookie season. Um he almost, to me, he embraces contact. He looks for it. He, he enjoys the physical part of the game. He's a great finisher. There are times when I watch him, though, where I think his vision needs to get a little better, where there's a, a place to cut into, and he doesn't do it because I think he really likes the physicality, right. and he likes to just drive into people. And maybe he'll learn that. But I thought he left some yards on the field this week. Well, I just thought he wasn't the same player after the yeah. injury. I thought he 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 did not have. That I mean, when, same he, when there's a true hole, the I mean that 18 yard touchdown. I mean, he, yeah. that that the 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 burst and velocity he showed on that. That's that special. And right. the leaping ability on the the first touchdown. Yeah. He looked like he took off from the four yard line. Yeah. So the the Jags are not going to ask Bortles to do too much. I don't think they can because well, the last thing they want to have happen in a game like this is just turn the ball over early. So what they're hoping, because they have to be realistic. Now, again, they're going to look at the game against Pittsburgh and, and, and think, well, wow, we can come in and maybe we can score. But they had a great first drive, as Cos knows, with, with those three consecutive passes, which were all the kinds of passes I just spoke about. Those were low-risk plays for the very low-risk plays for the quarterback. And they were able to score. If they can do that, then they can set a tempo. But they're not going to ask Bortles early in the game to take five-step, seven-step straight, straight drops and, and try to stick balls 18 yards down the field. That's not going to happen. Um, well, I was going to say this is the part of the show where we might want to mention Doug Marone, who, I, I mean, I, he painted a little bit of a masterpiece there Sunday to to dominate that football yeah. game. They really dominated. I mean, take away well, they were up 21 -nothing. four absolutely ridiculous touchdown yep. passes by Roethlisberger to his superstars. And 
that that game was a well. You got to give them a ton of credit for that opening drive, as I said, because it got Bortles comfortable, and it got the Steelers' defense a little shaky. I had a question about that opening drive. They they essentially passed their way down the field. They had first and goal from roughly the seven yard line, and then they buckled down and ran it four times. It was yeah. as if they didn't want Bortles to. Uh, give away. Well, they don't. At least three. Well, that, that that's quite a Jekyll and Hyde act, even on that first drive. No, even because, given the confidence of those first few the plays. Because the throws, though, Paul, as I said, were low risk. They weren't. It wasn't like they were putting the ball in Bortles' hands. They were all out of base personnel. They all had some form of run action. I think two of them had boot action. They were very low risk, basic one read throws. Were they any? Anything that he called at the line, or were they all pre? I, I don't think so. You know, again, I never know that for sure, right. but I think they were called plays. All right, let's talk about the other side of the bracket then, and the other two quarterbacks, and what they're going to be asked to do, or what the, the Eagles and the Vikings are willing to ask their two quarterbacks, Foles and Keenum. Because as we said last week, you can't hide your quarterback in January. We started the show talking about the situations that evolved during a game that players have to play their way out of if their teams are going to win. What are the Eagles and Vikings willing to ask Nick Foles and Case Keenum to do to, in order to advance to the Super Bowl? Well, I thought what Doug Peterson did this past week was brilliant. And people might not think so because they only scored 15 points. But I thought it was absolutely phenomenal because, he, again, his throws, too, were pretty, for the most part, with a few exceptions, and give Foles a ton of credit, were very basic throws. It was a lot of what they call RPOs, run-pass option, where he was reading a second-level linebacker based on his fake in the backfield. And if the linebacker moved a certain way, he knew he had the throw. But they were slant throws. These are not difficult. The throws themselves are not difficult. And they did a great job with that. They had that field goal drive in the third quarter where Foles, I think, was 5 for 7 for 70 yards. He did hit one big third down to Jeffrey where he climbed the pocket beautifully and made an excellent throw. And you need some of those. But for the most part, they played this game fairly close to the vest offensively. It was a perfect example of how rushing yardage doesn't necessarily correlate to controlling the game running. Their three backs had 25 carries for 79 yards, but when you watch the game both live and when I watched it on tape, there were clear times in the game where you felt as if the Eagles' run game was controlling the game, even though the yardage wasn't a big number. Well, here's a number. The last three quarters of that game, Eagles, 27 pass attempts, 12 rush attempts. Yeah. That is very, very surprising. Very and it was not difficult throws. I mean, that's the thing. That's why I think Doug Peterson did a great, great job because they did that. It, it was a function, again, of the defense they were playing, a very fast, flow, reactive defense. And some of those were screens. They're a great screen team, a great screen team. And they had that 32-yarder to a J, uh, JHI uh, in the fourth quarter, I think, that set up their final field goal drive. Uh, and they set that up with a nine-yard screen, I think, on their second possession of the game. So, yes, these were they were not difficult throws, but you have to give false credit because when you do drop back, you still have to complete passes. Did the game that Peterson call this weekend reflect a departure from what he was doing with Carson Wentz? Well, they're not asking Foles to make the kinds of throws that Wentz gets asked to make. In fact, he missed one, at, and it was a third-down throw to Burton. I forget when it happened in the game, but Burton was wide open on a corner route, and he just he overthrew him. So Peterson's evolved. He, I mean, he's, he's rolling with what he has. The, 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 as we said, the, dancing with the girl well, he has. You're understanding 
the, both the strengths of your your talent and the limitations of your talent, and that's what coaching is. I mean, Nick Foles is a professional quarterback. He's played in this league, but you have to understand that there are certain things he can't do well. So all these throws had a quick, almost all of them, had a quick game element, meaning that it was a quick drop and the ball came out fast because one thing Foles has shown not to be great at is the longer he's in the pocket, the less effective he is. So you want the ball to come out, so you're trying to design pass game concepts where the ball can come out. Now, what they did in this game, is it different than their typical offense that they would have run with with Wentz? Well, I think it is, but we'll never know that, but I think it is. Because it's like we were talking about. You you have to figure this out during the week. We're not going to be able to run all night against this defense and hope to win. Uh, So we better figure out a way to 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 have a, well, we're gonna, a, a reasonable passing. We're going to have to throw the ball. So how do we yeah. best go about throwing the ball so, so, without exposing our quarterback? That's basically right. the premise. Yeah, we're gonna here's here's the guy we got. Let's figure out let's how to put him in a position to Just succeed. Just like we talked about with Bortles, same right. deal. This is the guy. This is you know you dance with the girl who brung you. This is the guy who brung you. So now he's going to have to throw. So how do we maximize the efficiency of the quarterback? All right, same question for Keenum now. Because now he's, he's n- beyond now, that. Now he's on the road. Yeah, but he's beyond that. He's be- Go ahead, explain. He's more advanced as a quarterback oh, right now. Right. I'm not saying he's Tom Brady or Drew Brees, but you can line up and play with Case Keenum at this uh, point. Cr- you, don't have to, you don't have to minimize your concepts because of Keenum. Uh, Greg he, laid out last week that, that Keenum, he told us, Keenum is Keenum has had a very very good season. He's accurate. He's he's there. He can move. He he's he's making winning plays. He he did it. I mean, again. lost in that final throw and again, not just that throw that that reflects and is representative of Case Keenum, but that was not a 5-yard throw now. He that ball had to be thrown down the field with accuracy and it was. I totally agree. And, and yeah. with, with the game with the season on the line, right. that was a big time throw. It was a big time throw. And if that throw was made by quarterbacks we tend to think of as winners, we'd be raving about Case Keenum, but because the narrative in many ways has already been written in the minds of many about Keenum that he's a journeyman backup, I haven't heard him spoken about a lot today. People are talking about Diggs far more than Keenum. And the missed tackle. And the missed tackle, correct. Well, until, so so Keenum led two would-be game-winning drives there, the, obviously the one right, with Diggs. Right. But, but prior to that, that insane finish where we had four And four made a leads. great throw on that one as well to yeah. Thielen, I think, on a third down Oh, play. that throw is unbelievable. Unbelievable throw. And I, another throw, which I think was also in the fourth quarter, to Jarius Wright for, I think, 27 yards to the other sideline. Right. And this is after also he had a terrible interception. Terrible interception. That, that really turned the game when it was 17-7. to And... Again, a, a trait you're looking for is the short memory. Correct. In a spot like that, make the mistake, get back on the field, and, and don't Look, compound I, it. I won't rehash Keenum's traits because we did that last week, but he's played far better than the perception of him. He, he's played really solid NFL quarterback, and he's, he's not just a journeyman backup. I would urge everyone— to go back to all or nothing. I mentioned this last week, but show eight, season <laughs> two of Amazon's All or Nothing, produced by our crew here at NFL Films. We went and shot an interview with Case Keenum and his wife in the suburbs of Minneapolis after he signed with the Vikings as a 
third string quarterback. And there was nothing in his face that day that would have indicated, yeah, about nine months from now, I'll be playing for a trip to the Super Bowl here in Minnesota. You know, he was he was a guy who always believed in himself, clearly thought he could be a starter in this league. But to see where he has gone from in a span of less than a year, it's a great, great story. He's a good guy. Uh, you know, he was great with us. But, you know, that's that's beside the point. But he's the kind of guy that's very, very easy to root for. I, oh. we, we have a lot of that in this NFC yeah. Championship game. We really do. With Zimmer, uh, with with Peterson, with a lot of the Eagles players who have been terrific in the community, off the field. This NFC game is is full of good stories, good people. Uh, they're, they're, no, but the, either team wins. There's a lot. A lot of good stories you're going to be hearing about in those two weeks uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. Zimmer's the guy I thought of first <clears throat> as the play was happening because not only is it Minnesota, which is a hard luck football town, but here's Zimmer, a guy who's who's only been there four years. Two years ago, they host that home playoff game. They got the game winning. I think it's like a 27 yard field oh, goal Blair Wal- that Blair Walsh, Walsh misses. Against Seattle. We yeah. had a great shot of Zimmer on the sideline. Just he hung his head in reaction like he just was so incredulous, but. Here it is, two years later, that play saves their season. Where They're the number two seed. They've had this incredible year. He's built this amazing defense. And oh, by the way, here's a guy that's, I think, 61 years old. He waited 35 years before he became a head coach. And now we're in this era where we forget. You know, we have the, the McVeighs and the McDaniels. And the even going back to when, when Gruden did it, it was still kind of real, but, or still kind of new. But you had Raheem Morris. You had Eric Mangini. You had all young these, guys. the young 30-something coordinators. Mike Zimmer coached 35 years, longer than McVay was even alive before he got to be a head coach. And now he's the fruits of that labor is he's one game away from being in the Super Bowl. And that miraculous play, as he knows after spending his life in football, makes the razor-thin difference between oh, being home this weekend. Because if, if that play didn't happen, a lot, a lot of well, the talk would have been about Drew Brees, obviously. But, but the fact that they had given up that, that 17-0 lead when their defense is supposed to be so and not supposed to be it was phenomenal and it still is but that would have been the talk is there so so the vikings offense did go dead for a while there in the second half is there anything you could glean uh, looking at the tape uh, from well, it, it was an odd second half. They didn't go dead in the, in the way you're thinking of it. They started out with a long drive to start the third quarter and I think they missed a field goal. I forget yeah, what Forbath happened. Yeah, Forbath missed a field goal. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. So it was a long drive and then the Saints followed with a long drive, so the second possession for the Vikings didn't start until one minute in, it remained in the third quarter, Cos. So it seemed that way, right. but they really Fair. didn't go dead. It's just Fair. the game altered because the, the Saints started to move the ball with some sustainability on offense. And then he makes the two drives. So, yeah. So Keenum's ready to go. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's re- been really is, good. Is there anything? Where do you start on this game now? Uh, you know, we've 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 hit a few different points on this well, game, but this NFC game is 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 not one that anybody expected. No, and I think barring special teams plays turnovers, I would expect it would not be a high scoring game, because I think both defenses are very very good. The Vikings don't have a consistent run game, although they have to try to run the ball like they do every week. I mean. Latavius Murray did have 19 rushes this week, only 50 yards, but he did carry 19 times. They'll have a tough go running the ball against the Eagles' defense. 
I think that the Eagles will have a real tough time running the ball against the Vikings defense. This is a really good defense. Uh, despite what Breeze did to them, you know, obviously he's Drew Breeze. I think the Eagles will really struggle offensively to move the ball uh, on any kind of consistent basis. So I think this becomes almost a Doug Peterson game in how he can try to create some offense. We have another safety injury potentially in this game if if Sandejo doesn't come back. Yes, who I've been talking about him for two years. I, I love Sandejo, and because of Harrison Smith, he does not get much credit at all. I think you could make the argument that could be the best safety duo in the NFL. If he cannot play, do you know? Do we know what his injury well, was? He lo- he went off for a concussion. Oh, you know he kind of got knocked out. On well, that they play. do have a guy in interception. With, with, no, no, it's a play with he ran. Mike Thomas ran into him. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. it was an it was an accidental play. Right, actually, right. They bring in Anthony Harris, number forty-one from Virginia, who's actually a really solid player. They're very fortunate because this guy's a solid player. the The issue he had coming out of, of Virginia is that he was kind of an in-between kind of player. He was only about 190, 195 pounds, and he looks at when you look at him, there's not a lot of size to him and girth, but he's actually a pretty good player. Now, maybe that limits some of the things they can do. I can't speak to that 100% because he hasn't quite played enough for me to know specifically how they use him, but they're they're not putting in a guy who can't play. I'm interested in the Eagles. I, I, I was so impressed by the Eagles' defense, and I kept thinking – the weapons that they were contending with last week yeah, well, relative to what they... It seems like, as much as you can gauge it on paper, the Vikings aren't bringing the offensive weapons here that the Falcons well, did last week. they do have week. good receivers. I mean, obviously, Julio is great, but Thielen and Diggs are really, really good, and Kyle Rudolph's a quality tight end. Um, the Eagles are, are a single high safety defense. They play that a, a high percentage of the time. More zone than man. They don't match up, so Mills is the left corner, Darby is the right corner. When they do play man, it's normally Malcolm Jenkins on the tight end, so he'll be on Kyle Rudolph when they do play man-to-man coverage. I think a wild card in this game is McKinnon. I I really like McKinnon in the pass game. And I think, again, it's not that he's going to catch nine balls for 120 yards, but this is not going to be that kind of game anyway. So I I think McKinnon could be an intriguing wild card in the pass game. This is going to be seventeen thirteen. I agree this with you. Is, yeah, it feels is, like yeah yeah. yeah. It, it could be ten six. Nip and t- I mean. nip and tuck the whole way. Yeah. Tight defensive football on the unlikely One theme matchup. of the two of the of the twenty seventeen playoffs here in January. And, and one matchup that the Eagles are going to have to seriously consider how they want to handle is their left tackle Vitae against Griffin. Right. Uh, because, again, quick game stuff, you don't need to do anything because the ball would be out. But if it gets into a situation where they need deeper drops, you know, second along, third along, whatever the situation demands, they're going to have to either chip or keep some bodies in, which, of course, then limits your pass game because the pass game's about numbers. You'd like to have five guys out. But if you can't do that, you can't do that because protection must come first. What did you see of Jay Ajayi? This past weekend, he, he seemed to me to be less explosive and dynamic than I remember him in Miami. He's not explosive. He's he's relentless. He's physical. He's powerful. He's not explosive. He's he's and I'm really surprised because he was good at this at Boise State, but he doesn't catch the ball very well in the NFL and he hasn't. But he was good at it in college. But he's a tough, physical inside runner. I actually thought 
and spoke about it, and I obviously was wrong. I thought it would have been a LeGarrette Blunt game. They made a Jai Blunt. He was the feature back, pounding it up inside. The Eagles have a really multiple run game now. I, I charted, and, and I can't recite every single one because there are about 10 of them. The, there were about 10 different runs the Eagles ran in that game this week. They have a really multiple run game. You described the Jai as powerful and, and big and strong. Relentless. Relentless. What's the distinction then between him and Blunt? Um, Jai's got quicker feet. I mean, he's not explosive the way you think of explosive, but he's got quicker feet than Blunt. But I thought this would be a Blunt game because I thought they'd attack downhill, which they did, but they used a Jai instead of Blunt. Okay. Any final, you know, last week, one thing we, we said to look for was the Falcons red zone offense. We'd been talking about which them for the entire post. Through. And I think the the first drive of the game, the last drive, right. of, the drive of the game. Yep. And it, those two, two trips to the red zone did them in in the end. They'd struggled with it all season to go back to where we started here. Your well, weaknesses are eventually going to crop up and bite you somewhere along the way here in January. What is going to crop up and bite oh. one of these teams? What what can we look for that this team or that team's got to overcome on Sunday to, to get to Minneapolis? Well, you talked about the red zone. In the, this last game against Pittsburgh, they got to the red zone five times. They scored five touchdowns. Now, I, we all know, and this is not profound, but it's it, it relates to the game. You can't beat New England by kicking field goals. Nope. So then you get into play calling, and and, and there's a number of things that happen in the red zone, depending on whether you're in the the far red zone, the high red zone, meaning between the 10 and the 20, or the tight red zone, meaning the 10 to the goal line. We saw that Tommy Bahannon touchdown, which— That was an awesome play. An awesome play call, given the way they played the entire game. See, that was a great play call. So let's let's do this. This was this was the touchdown, uh, a fourth quarter touchdown. uh, Are they in the high red zone? Yes, it was fourteen yard touchdown. That was their last touchdown. It was their last touchdown. Oh, and and it was they lined up in the straight eye, twenty two personnel, meaning two backs, two tight ends. They'd been lining up in that all game. It was a second down play, not a third down play. They showed straight ISO run action, which they'd done probably 10, 12 times in the game. And Williams and Golden hit that so hard because everything about the play looked like run, and they just sneaked, um, they snuck uh, Bohannon through on the short seam. That's an old West Coast play. Williams ended up on his face. I think Golden did about three pirouettes, yeah. and Bohannon well, somebody was went, just running I think it was Williams. into the end zone. It might have been Williams who went and literally tried to tackle Fournette. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just ended up in the backfield yeah. on his face. I mean, it, they so got that defense on that That was a play. great play. So in the red zone, you're dealing with a number of issues. You're dealing with can you line up and run the ball with physicality. Um, then you'd talk about plays that have a, a deception misdirection element to them, like the week before when Atlanta scored in the red zone to beat the Rams with the Julio Jones play. That was a misdirection deception play. You know, This week when they didn't score, they pretty much said, we have Julio Jones, he's better than anyone who can cover him, so we're going to basically call a one-receiver route, and our guy's better than your guy. And it didn't work out. That's, sure, but that's sure what they is. essentially called on fourth down. There was no, there was no, you know, with the Eagles, everybody made a big deal about, oh, the Eagles knew the play. The Falcons didn't care that they knew the play. They had Julio Jones. They thought he's better than Jalen Mills. We're just going to throw it to Julio Jones. 
I mean, there are worse ideas. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm no, saying no, no. The, this whole debate about oh, the Eagles knew the play is irrelevant. The the Falcons didn't care whether the Eagles knew the play. Yeah. That was the matchup. Stop it. Right. I'm just glad that we added to our vocabulary again. Last week we had what second reaction? reaction. This week now we have the high the high red zone and the tight, tight red zone. I didn't know that we had now two zones within yeah, the red two zone. Two sectors. Did you know RPO? Have, that was a new one for me. Run pass uh, option. I, I didn't. Paulie, everybody knows RPO. I'm just, <laughs> try, I'm just trying to keep up here, cause. But yeah, so I mean, red zone always becomes critical. Look. All you have to do is look at the Steelers-Jags game to talk about red zone and third down because I, I, I would bet all of us, I know I did, did not think that if, if Jacksonville were to win that game, I thought it would be a 2017 game. No one would see saw Jacksonville winning that game 45-42. Well, another- so, so you get to third down. They were 8 for 14 on third down. You go to the red zone, five trips, five touchdowns. Tom, Tomlin's now got... Playoff defeats to Tim Tebow and uh, Bortles on his ledger. That's that's a tough. That's a that's tough. T- that's a tough. I'll, I'll let you handle tough. that, Kyle. That's tough. <laughs> he's got he's got a lot of work to do. Is there anything else, uh, AFC or NFC? I think we're we're. Ready. I I think the way we need to finish this this week, um, having added to our vocabulary, is you know is there an official name for the for the miracle? In Minneapolis. Oh, I've heard Minneapolis Miracle, Minnesota Miracle, uh, Whiff Six. Oh. And there's, oh, Whiff Six is pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty mean, but it's pretty good. I don't think that, because you don't usually name a miracle after somebody's mistake. Or the negative. Yeah, you don't name, I don't, I can't think of any miracles named on on the mistake. What and they spent seven heaven. I guess that's the name of the play. Yeah. That's not. That's not sticking. No, I no. think it's going to be the the because the radio guy, the Vikings terrific. Oh, Paul radio, Allen was great. Paul Allen immediately called it the Minneapolis Miracle that's twice. Because that's going to be in all that, our highlights. And this that radio week. call is going to be played a thousand times. A th- it's going to live. In instant, infamy, in, in infamy. Well, yeah. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be making it. Uh, it's gonna be plastered across your television. I mean, that's one of the greatest plays week. ever, given the moment. Because wasn't that the first play in playoff history? The first walk off touchdown in the fourth quarter and and postseason history. And it's yeah. can we just underscore it again? It's Minnesota. They have the chance to host the Super Bowl. A franchise that has had more playoff more heartbreak. defeats. Which I'm almost... not happy about here, Paul, because again with the because weather. it was 10 degrees with Uh-oh. a wind chill of minus 6 during the, the game. The game's inside. Yeah, but you have to get there. Oh. Well, fellas, we got one more Sunday. And I'm then pretty excited. This... Championship we... Sunday, you feeling good? Yeah. You know, I know that, look, as I said, I was looking at Twitter, so everybody has pretty much decided that Brady's winning the Super Bowl again because of the other three quarterbacks. But you know what? I guess that's why they play the games because we didn't think Jacksonville was going to be here, did it, we? It is. It is uh, as as my my brother termed it, the velvet gauntlet for for Brady. If if you, oh if nice the he, the and you Mar- the Mariota Bortles Foles slash Keenum. But you made a great point about Case Keenum that you know nine months ago you're interviewing him uh, when he signs with Minnesota as a third string quarterback, and now he's n- not only playing in the NFC Championship game, no, but had a really good season. Hey. Fifteen years ago, that was uh, that was Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a backup right. once. Tom That's Brady right. was a backup. No, once. nobody thought Tom Brady was beating Kurt Warner in the Superdome. That is correct. In, in February two thousand two. So yeah, no, you're here right. we are. Anything's possible, but it is a striking march to a potential sixth Lombardi for the greatest of all time. That would be pretty impressive, boy. That's hard to do. 
Tom Brady, Tom Brady, and three guys. Good luck, Jacksonville. You're going to need it. Well, no faith. No, I look. I I think Jacksonville is 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 a really good football team. They are. They are, and they're really really well coached. Uh, the talent on that defense is, is really good, spectacular, really good. They, Let's enjoy some defensive football, yeah. folks. It's great. Yeah. It's great to see. We've gotten I, I, all caught up in the yeah. quarterbacks and the passing game these last few years. I mean, the Broncos did it with defense two years ago, and, and, the, and the Panthers had a great defense. The Seattle defense was tremendous. Yep. Uh, I think three of the last four years, the number one overall scoring defense won the Super Bowl, and here we have three of the top four. So, again, we're looking at, at a uh, – a potentially defensive-dominated team winning the Super Bowl. So the conclusion is defense still wins championships. Or can get you to one anyway. All right, kids. Thanks, Greg. All right. That was fun. Hit it. Got one more of these to go, Polly. Greg, one more of these next week. Setting up the Super Bowl. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Mike, our producer and our engineer. Let's get ready for Championship Sunday, people. Follow NFL Films on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on all your favorite social channels. Follow Greg Cosell at Greg Cosell on Twitter. Catch the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN this weekend. And tune in next week for another NFL Films pod where we will break down the championships... And look forward to Super Bowl. Thanks, everyone.